Welcome to 7 Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. Most people are pretty uncomfortable talking about death. I hope this program can help to change that and make death a more natural topic of conversation. Today's guest is Pamela. She researches death. So I think this is where the Day of the Dead reconnects as well, because we see representations of skeletons dancing and skeletons eating and skeletons having a feast. Question one. What do you believe happens to a person's consciousness or spirit after the body dies? I think that the spirit continues on. I don't think that life ends in this in this realm. I come back from a Christian background, and so I truly believe that the spirit continues. And so I think that everything in life that we see, and and also in in other cultures that we read about, and their connection with death and dying, it shows us that life doesn't end here; it continues. If we look at uh, pre-Hispanic cultures, for example, in Mexico. They believed that whatever their life was in this lifetime, death, it was just like a stepping stone to something else. And they would continue living the same life that they lived here in a different realm. And so I actually believe that, yes, that our life is actually the same. Our life here will end, but it will continue. So I'm curious, what do you believe happens right around the time of death, either just before or just right after do you have some specific beliefs around that? Well, in history of Catholicism, there were different theories on what happened after death. And so they believed that it would go into sort of like a state of uh, like a sleeping period where the soul would go to sleep and then later it would be raised with the return of Christ. I'm not really quite sure what exactly will happen but I do believe that it goes into a place of sleep, in a way, a place of peace, where you just await to wake up again. You know? This is what I believe, that you'll wake up at some point and continue on. I'm interested in what you said about the early uh, Hispanic civilizations. I'm speaking mostly from what I've read and studied with, for example, like the early Mexicas, they belong to the Aztec Empire because I guess the Aztecs ended up conquering a bunch of different um, peoples. And then so it was known as the Aztec Empire, but they all spoke a common language with the Nahuatl. So these people, they ended up calling them Mexicas just to generalize rather than Aztecs. But these people were believed that, yeah, that to achieve the ultimate death, they would have to die in some form of battle. So they would have to die in a war, women in childbirth and if they died or if their child would die and consider that a war as well so they were given preferential treatment in death so they were considered honored in this belief system and so they would receive more glory in the afterlife but say if you just died of old age you would still continue to have the same life that you had in this realm just in the other realm you would have to travel through the underworld and everything to get to the resting place, it would take about five years to get there. And then eventually you would have similar life of what you had, similar social standing, be able to eat, drink, 
enjoy festivities and everything. And so I think this is where the Day of the Dead reconnects as well, because we see representations of skeletons dancing and skeletons eating and skeletons having a feast and everything. And so I think this is where it connects with this ancient culture where they still believed that life just continued just in a different realm. And so in this case, yes, we have these representations of skeletons that are wearing clothes and dancing and having a good time. But you don't believe that you have. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Fascinating as it is. Yeah. Fascinating as it is. No, I don't personally believe that. But I do believe that there is a lot of validity in this. And a lot of people do believe that, yes, that this is what happens. And so during Day of the Dead, they put out their altars and they welcome them and they put out the candles and the glass of water because they're very thirsty from having such a long journey to the underworld and everything. And we see it in Coco, the movie, you know, with all the flowers and people coming to visit their relatives and this journey that they make to return to this world. So there's the connection between the world of the dead and the world of the living. I got to see that movie. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's awesome. You'll love it. Okay. Yeah, I probably will. Question two. Have you ever been present when someone else's life ended? No, I have never been um, present when somebody um, has died. When my grandmother died, I traveled to see her because she passed away when I was researching in Mexico. And so I came back home and she was going to be um, cremated. And so I did go to see her and visit her. And so I was with her when she was through the process of the cremation, I I was there and was able to say goodbye to my grandma. And so I did, I gave her a kiss and, and was with her. So you spent time with her physical form? Yes, with her physical form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So would you be willing to be with someone when they passed? Oh, I think so. Of course, I would like that. To be there as a support, to be there with them as as they make this journey. And that's also something I think that we've lost as a society. Around the 19th century, this sort of became like uh, not so common. In earlier centuries, people would spend time with people as they would die. They would die in their homes in most cases. And so it became very familiar. And it was also something as part of life. And then in the 19th century, people started sending their family members and people to hospitals, and that's where they would die. And I think that that created a separation in in what uh, the cycle of life really is. And so I think that, yes, I would like to be there and be there as a support for the person and just let them know that I'm there and I care for them and that I love them and to give them just support as they go. Question three. Have you ever experienced communication from someone who is no longer alive in the physical world? Or have you wondered if you were receiving communication from someone who has passed on? I think that I actually have received communication from someone who died. This was many, many years ago. Um, my, My grandmother... I was not very close with her because she lived in Peru and I didn't see her very often. I didn't have the opportunity to grow up close to her because 
well, my parents immigrated to Canada and and then also they were always very afraid to return to Peru because at that point there was a lot of political instability in the country. We always made little tapes for my grandmother, conversations and greetings and everything. And we would talk to her on the phone when it was possible. But I remember when my grandmother, when she passed away, I didn't know that she was ill because I was young. And I knew something wasn't right because my dad had gone to Peru suddenly to see her. And one evening I was sleeping and dreaming. And I dreamt that my grandma had phoned me and that I was speaking with her and, um, and I was telling her how much I loved her. And my grandmother said, I have to go now. And I was so sad and I was crying and I was telling her, I don't want to hang up yet. And she kept saying to me, no, I have to go. And so eventually she did hang up and then I woke up and then I managed to get back to sleep. And then the next morning when I was talking with my mother, she told me that she had heard from my father in the morning and he had told her that my grandmother had died. And so I am certain that that was my grandmother who was saying goodbye to me. Yeah, but that is the only communication that I've had. I think someone who passed away said something to me, but it was something so real. I felt that it was just that it was a real conversation that I had with my grandmother. Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. You must have felt loved. Yeah, and I still think about it, and it still feels very real to me. Question four. Who do you want to be with you when you die? And what circumstances would you choose if you could choose them for your death? I think like probably most people, I would want to be surrounded by family and friends when I die. I don't think I would want to be alone <laughs> for that step in my life. And I don't think I would want to, like many people probably experience pain. I would prefer to, for it to be something painless and something that would happen just, yeah, surrounded by family and friends. Either that or something very sudden. I don't think I would like to um, go through agony and for many years of pain. Yeah, of course. And preferably at home. Or yes. Based on the previous answer. Yeah, at home. Again, like this is historical. A lot of paintings and books and devotionals that they used to have in like the older times 15th century onward to about 18th century and this is what they called the good death was basically preparing throughout your life to have a good death and good deaths were usually surrounded by family and friends in your home and so that's what i would like so in those past cultures um, you're talking about the catholic religion they had a more developed taxonomy of like good death, bad death, other types of deaths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had manuals and they had explanations, at least in Spanish Catholicism. They had confraternities, even like communities that they would gather and prepare as a community for death and dying, and they would support each other. And for burials, they would support each other. And it created a lot of community so that you didn't feel so alone was something mm. that the community supported. Mm. I'm curious, 
Was there a concept that if you had a particular type of good life, this would lead to a good death? Or if you had like a dissolute life, it was going to lead to a bad death? Yes. <laughs> yes. The idea was to try to live a life as close to the example as Christ's. So you would be caring for others. You would be trying to help those who were most unfortunate in society and help the poor and be the hungry. That would build into living a good life because you were, in the same sense, you were helping others, but helping yourself. And so then when your death would come, then your death would be a good one because you had lived a very good life helping others and trying to live up to the example of Christ. And so people who didn't, they were considered to have not necessarily a bad death, but not a good one. Mm -hmm. And so um, depending also, of course, on how severe certain things were, because then purgatory gets in there too, it would be able to help people who had not maybe lived up to their best potential, that they would be able to spend some time there and then come out of there. So, and then redeem their lives and have a good death afterward. People who would commit crime and do things that were very terrible in societies, those people, if they didn't change their lives around or make any amends, and of course they were considered to have a bad death. Hmm. Okay, so let's say somebody... I don't know, they fell off their horse mm -hmm. and they broke their neck. Yeah. But actually, they had been very charitable in their lives and done all these good things. Is that a good death then? Mm -hmm. It's not really the matter of dying. It's the way that you had lived your life. And then afterward, then, of course, your death would then be a good one or not so good one. Or in some of the books that I've read, they give examples of people who die in war. And so, like, they would go off to war. Well, they die in battle. So what happens with their souls? And so they would say, yeah, that it, it all depended on the life that they had lived before. Okay. So although mm -hmm. we might not want to die impaled on a sword and think that was a quote unquote bad death because it's painful, yeah. it, the way that it would be looked at in the past would be a good or glorious death because of mm -hmm. a lot of different factors, but the life that had come to it. But now in our society... We tend to think of good or bad deaths as being based on the age of the person or the circumstances right. or the amount of pain, not actually what kind of life that they've lived. That's right. Yeah. Our perspective has changed on what is a good death because now we're thinking, okay, well, as long as they didn't suffer or as long as it happens quickly or if they were surrounded by family, then that would be a good death, right? Yeah, so in a way, we've got the focus down just to the period of death instead of the whole trajectory of the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually trying to shift focus a lot when I think about someone's death and recognize that the death itself is very short within the context of their life or even within the context of eternity, mm -hmm. even though it can be so painful to reflect on someone's death that's important to us, the actual manner of their dying doesn't invalidate the good life that they've had before. But it takes some practice to reframe because our society does have this uh, feeling that death is bad and, and no matter what happens in a sense in their good deaths and bad deaths based on their experience at that time, which could be relatively short, like a number of weeks or a number of days versus mm -hmm. years and years and years of a different type of life. 
That's right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've talked to people, like, for example, Mexicans, because they have such a rich tradition with death and dying. When I tell them about my research, I tell them, oh, I'm researching death in Mexico or death in the 18th century or something. And they're like, oh, they're so interested. They want to know everything and they get all excited about it. And they tell you about their grandmother and they tell you about all these traditions in their family and everything. And then I talk to somebody here in, say, in North America or Canada, and I say, oh, I'm researching death. Like the expression on their face changes and they become very pale and almost like scared, like very, very stiff. Like, okay, thank you. And they run away. (laughs) It's interesting. I don't know. It's almost like a rejection, no? A rejection of death and the state, perhaps because of, I don't know, iconography. You know, we see the skeletons and we see all these things and they're not very attractive. But in the end, it's a person, right? You see the skeleton and the skeleton is actually the makeup of a person. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. You're listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you'd like to be interviewed, or if you have a comment about the show, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is the number seven. Question five. How do you feel about the fact that you will die? Are you afraid of your death? It's an interesting question, Beth, (laughs) because I don't think I'm really that scared of death. Although recently, and this is like within the last year, I know that sometimes when I, before I go to bed, I wonder whether I'm going to be awake in the morning. It's something that I do sometimes think about because I think, okay, well, I'm not 20 anymore. And so, of course, you start to see things in your body change. Your parents get older and you're noticing that the fragility of life is really something real. I don't think I'm afraid of it, but I think I'm more aware of it. As the years pass, I'm paying more attention to this. And so trying to at least make the most of my day and try to make uh, an impact in my life and help others in my day. And then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, if I finish my day and I think I've done a good job helping others and all of this, then that's a good day. I'm just being more mindful of this now. Hmm. So I hear a fair amount of acceptance and also with this growing awareness, a positive impact in your intentionality on your day. I'm hoping to. Yeah, this is what I'm trying to do. When I was 20, I didn't think about this at all. It was just like, okay, I got to go and do all this stuff, hang out with my friends, have a good time and everything. And now it's like every day that ends, like, um, it's just, yeah, what a, what a blessing it is to be alive right now. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So you would know a lot more than I would probably about, is it memento mori, Mm -hmm. keeping of the skull to keep death as a present reminder? As a reminder. Yeah. What time periods was that popular in? 
Memento Mori, um, I would say probably early medieval, late medieval, and it went into the Renaissance and all the way into the 18th century. Even still now, there are reminders of death in now the, the Day of the Dead, a lot of the little skulls and everything. They're comical in a way, but they're still reminders of one's death. But yeah, I know which ones you mean, the skull and then the flowers, no, because they have like these paintings of like the skull and then the vase of water with these beautiful tulips or something like this, no, the fragility of the flower and the short life that they have and then the skull, no, so yeah, I have reminders of these at home as well. I have my little collection of skeletons from Day of the Dead and all this stuff around my house and in my office at work and everything. And so people, when they come into my house, sometimes they think, oh, my gosh, this is so bizarre. But it's, um, <laughs> yeah, with all these little skeletons and everything, but I find them interesting. It's interesting because, yeah, I collect them and I enjoy them because it's part of my research and I find this fascinating. But it's actually a real practice. Probably when it was more normal, people had these reminders in their homes as a reminder that, yeah, life is fragile and you have to enjoy life now because it's short-lived. Question six. Are there any traditions or practices connected with death which you find meaningful? Hmm. Well, I... I think yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah, the Day of the Dead, of course, it's a really cool tradition. I think it's such a positive celebration, really, of honoring family and honoring friends who have died by putting out these altars as they do in Mexico. They build these altars and put their portrait on it. They put out all their favorite foods and their favorite drinks, whatever they really enjoyed in life. Some people, not everybody, some people believe that, of course, the spirit returns to, to spend a few days with the family and the friends there. And so they just remember them and remembered what they were like and remembered uh, their favorite things. And they bring mariachi music. It's like a big party. I think what I like most about it is that, yeah, it's just an opportunity for them to remember who these people were. You see that the memory of the person goes on. And so I think that's what I like most about the celebration of Day of the Dead. Do you do it? Do you bring some of that into your belief system? No, no, I haven't done anything like that in my house. But I did tell my husband that when I go, I want him to build an altar to me so that he can, so that I can come <laughs> visit him. <laughs> like no you put out my flowers you put out my little picture and everything and then yeah <laughs> I don't know if he'll do it but <laughs> but anyhow <laughs> yeah but it occurs to me that this type of tradition is not incompatible with a variety of belief systems mm -hmm. yeah you're right there are a lot of cultures that celebrate um, ancestry they celebrate death mm -hmm. I hear in Asia, there are a lot of them. They put out little, I don't know what they are, like little things that float on the water and everything like that to remember mm -hmm. the soul. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, they still have a lot of traditions. I don't think it's something that's unique to Mexico. Mm -hmm. It's in early November, right? What is the date? November 1st and 2nd. Okay. And it's interesting because recently they're increasing. So it's not just oh. the 1st and the 2nd now. 
it seems like now the 31st, and then I saw something about maybe the 30th now, because now they're also remembering pets. So oh, pets okay. that were, that had passed on. And so now they're also remembering them. Every age group has a different day when they were remembered. The adults are remembered midnight of the 1st of, of November. So the first going into the second, the 31st to the first would be when you remember children who have died. And now they're saying the pets from the 30th to the 31st of October. It's sort of rolling into all these different days so that you can remember all of your dead. That's beautiful. Mm, yeah. In your own life, are there traditions and practices that you find meaningful? Consciously, probably not. I have my skeletons in my house, but I don't use them for any kind of meditative purpose or anything like that. They're just there as reminders and something fun that I like. And yeah, I remember my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, I remember her passing was in June. So I remember her passing that day. Usually what I do is I say a prayer for her. Hmm. Question seven. If you could ask a source of all knowledge some questions about death, what would you ask? Hmm. That's a hard one. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Well, perhaps why, why children go when they go, if they have an illness or if they have like cancer or something like that, I would probably ask why. Why for them? Because they haven't lived a full life. Their life was cut so short. That would probably be my question. Because as adults, we live a life and we've had certain experiences in our lives and everything. We can make decisions. And, and if we get to live to an old age, then what a wonderful life. But for kids and people who die so young, I think that would be my question. Why so young? Why can't they continue to live a full life like some other people? Why some and not others? Yeah, so a question in a way that has to do with the bigger picture of fairness or mm -hmm. what are the reasons that we have no comprehension of. That's right, yeah. Las flores del campo santo sobre las sepulturas de los amantes. Si hay quien va... My thanks to today's guest, Pamela. She researches death. The song that we were just listening to is called Las Flores del Campo Santo. It was sung by Lupita Infante. You've been listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you're interested in being interviewed, or if you have a comment or a question, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is a number seven. 
Thanks for listening.